From WNAT in New York, hi, I'm Tom Stewart, and welcome to WNAT Up Next, where we take you behind the scenes for a look at what's happening in the world of public media and help you get to know the people who create our programs. This time, our focus is on one of our longest-running and most honored broadcasts. It premiered in 1976, and since then it's presented an amazing array of concerts, ballets, and theater pieces from Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts in New York City. And of course, I'm talking about Live from Lincoln Center, and currently serving as producer of the series is Douglas Chang. Doug, welcome to WNET Up Next. Thank you, Tom. It's nice to be here. I know that you haven't been around uh, with the series since 1976. But what do you feel some of the highlights have been over that past 43 years? Well, the greatest things that I remember of the series, I mean, I grew up with it even though I wasn't working with it until 2012. But all the Pavarotti shows and the Beverly Sills programs and getting to see Sutherland and Marion Horn and uh, Danny Kaye. I was actually at a school field trip when I was a high school student uh, not actually a grade school student, seeing Danny Kaye live, we were invited into the hall, and then the show came on uh, a few days after that. And it was, uh, you know, those kind of things stick with you, and uh, it's probably one of the reasons I'm working there today. Excellent. Now, you said you've been with the show since 2012, and since that time, any personal favorites that you've been involved with? My personal favorites are not necessarily what people would define as the best shows. It's usually a combination of the experience and the challenges that we had to overcome. Mm -hmm. And usually if we were able to do something a little unusual or special to make the show really pop, you make a mistake to try to pretend that you're going to approximate the live experience. Nothing can replace being there and actually feeling the energy of being in that room. So what we're trying to do what I try to do is to find new ways of getting certain aspects of the experience to read more fully on camera. And so you get the feeling that you're there, but it's also a slightly different thing. So my favorite's Carousel, probably the best experience I've had since I've been here, just in terms of a beautiful production, great collaboration from several parts of the organization that doesn't happen that often. So you had Kelly O'Hara and people like Jason Danielly and Jesse Mueller from the Broadway world. You had Stephanie Blythe and uh, Nathan Gunn from the opera world. And you had dancers, you know, Tyler Peck and Robbie Fairchild dancing the pas de deux in a key sequence choreographed by Warren Carlyle. And it, it just all came together fantastically. Rob Fisher did an amazing job conducting, and and everybody was a joy to work with. I mean, there was nobody who... No divas? No divas whatsoever. Everybody was hilarious. They had senses of humor, and they were open to everything. And then the way we filmed it, um, Glenn Weiss was our director on that one, and he, he often does the Tony Awards and, you know, other award shows and some of the, the live... Um, musicals on NBC. But in that one, I think he really managed to capture something special because his innovation for the shoot was a semi-stage production with a very abstract set design, but very resonant. You know, you couldn't build 
hundreds of sets for a production this limited. The orchestra, a fairly large one, was on stage along with the actors. The actors had to kind of commute between the strands of the orchestra. And what he did was, rather than just pretending the orchestra wasn't there, he shot it so that the orchestra was intimately involved, so that you felt the abstraction of that particular piece. Carousel's a very, very weird musical, mm -hmm. and it goes up to heaven, it comes back down, it goes back and forth in time. And I think the, the production itself and our capture of it all work together to push that idea forward, to follow up on the really best aspects of that particular musical. And you mentioned the word filmed, and this is something I wanted to ask you about because we think of live from Lincoln Center for many, many years as being a live performance. If I'm sitting at home watching this show, it's happening right then, but that's not totally true anymore. That's right. When I came in on board, the decision had been made that we were going to move away from an all-live show, which had been going on for 40 years. Some of it was just a logistical problem. Uh, PBS's schedules were getting a little more difficult to find the slots to put them on. So were the slots going to drive the programming? You know, if they, if they said, well, we have a slot open on Wednesday the 25th, are you just going to run around and say, well, what do we have? What's, <laughs> what do what's we have? going on that night? Yeah. So some of that was a, a practical consideration, but it also gave us some opportunity to experiment with the form a little bit more and get the projects to the level of perfection that we always hope the ideal capture could get. At the same time, I have to say I, I love live. Whenever we do live, this New Year's Eve one is going to be a live program. It's huge amount of fun. First of all, there are tremendous nervousness and worries at the beginning of the process, mm -hmm. and then it's all over and we can all go out and get some champagne or something like that. So, <laughs> That's great. You know, I know that earlier this year uh, you took the viewers to Greece with the Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center. That was another of my favorite projects, another opportunity to kind of try something new. Chamber music is such an amazing art form live, you know? I mean, you just feel the intimacy and the relationships between the musicians on stage. So we wanted to create an atmosphere that actually reflected and responded to the music that they were performing. So uh, a couple years ago, they invited us to go to a place called Shaker Village in Kentucky, where they ended up playing Appalachian Spring. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I they were thankfully happy enough with that show that uh, a couple of years later they said, well, how would you like to go to Greece? And it was truly a wild and wacky production. There were all kinds of cost issues involved and travel issues involved, and we ended up making our first international co-production with Greek public television, ERT. And at the beginning of the project, we truly didn't know whether it was going to work. By the end, everybody was having fun and laughing and 
you know, the Greeks are pretty warm people, so we, we had Sound like a great a experience for yeah. all concerned. A number of years ago, I knew one of your uh, predecessors, you might say, John Goberman. Now, John was the founding producer of Live from Lincoln Center, and I once asked him what the true function of a producer really was. And at that time, he said to me, actually, I get paid to worry. <laughs> uh, so I want to know, do you agree with that? <laughs> uh, and, and tell us what you really do. Yeah, so um, I've sadly never had the privilege of meeting Mr. Goverman in person, but I would largely, I, I would pretty much agree with that. It's the way I look at it, putting it into the most optimistic terms possible, is that we're charged with making sure the Lego pieces go together. <laughs> and whether you're building a, a huge tower or a... DeVille or whatever you're building out of those Lego pieces, you have to figure out how to fit them together and how to make them as strong as possible, meeting every contingency. Because in the performing arts, there are so many contingencies that you have to deal with. At Lincoln Center, anyway, you don't often have a lot of time to rehearse, at least the television portion. That. We come in, we try to learn as much as we can. We try to be as non-invasive as we can be so that uh, we don't change the tone or the tenor of the production. And then we have to shoot it. And whether, you know, it doesn't really matter whether it's live or post-produced. If you don't get it, you don't get it. So my feeling is that being a person who likes to be on the ground producing, you know, a fair amount and dealing with the problem-solving aspects, a lot of it really is problem-solving. And you can extend that philosophy to the kind of creative or aesthetic level and, and talk about how that feeds into what the actual program will finally look like. But it really does come down to simple problem-solving. There's another show that I'm very proud of, which was a program of Danny Elfman's music from the films of Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. And in that case, the so-called innovation that we were working on was to really find ways of incorporating the visuals of Tim Burton's films to the music that was being performed live on stage. Mm -hmm. And there was a screen showing the live audience what was taking place in very short clips. But we ended up adding a huge number of those clips, and we were involved in clearing a lot of rights from various studios. We were involved in a documentary thread that would give some insight into the relationship between Elfman and, and Tim Burton. We were involved in kind of shooting the orchestras in ways that would seamlessly flow in and out of those um, those visuals. It was it was a lot of fun. My editor may not agree with me on that, but he did he did some beautiful work on that. Nick Palm. Now, there are always these huge television trucks uh, parked on the street outside Lincoln Center when one of these events is happening. I'm always fascinated by that. Take us inside uh, the truck on the night of, uh, of the broadcast. What's happening? What's it like? What is the atmosphere like? Well, it gets very quiet for a while. I'll describe the physical arrangement first. It's a very tight space. You have one side which is completely dominated by a huge number of monitors 
with both what would be the line cut and every single individual camera, because the director and his associate director have to be monitoring what every single camera is doing so they know what to cut to next. And how many cameras would there be? Well, it, it varies. I mean, with the chamber music show that we filmed in Greece, it was four. When you get to Philharmonic, show like New Year's Eve, it's more like 12. So the director and everybody else has to be intimately involved in knowing what all the camera people are doing. They're talking on headphones. They're trying to make sure that they're making last minute changes because we'll typically have a rehearsal and find out that some things don't work, that some camera angles have, you know, musicians who are blocked by somebody else, and you have to really figure out the best way to adjust to all those. So there's kind of a humorous pause, mm. and then when we're about 30 seconds to the show, everything just revs up, and there's laughing, there's screaming, there's, you know, where are you being shouted, and I think on the best shoots, it's always a blast, you know, and the live shoots are especially so because you don't get that second chance. It sounds very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, recently I've gone to the PBS.org live from Lincoln Center area, and I've found, I call it a blog, but it's really a series of program notes done over the years by commentator and longtime live from Lincoln Center announcer Martin Bookspan. Well, Martin and I still talk and write to each other with a fair bit of frequency. In my feeling, he really is the voice in the heart of Live from Lincoln Center, and we try to maintain that spirit. The joy for me, when I read something like he wrote for the Bernstein Centennial program we did a couple years ago, and he talks about sitting around with Bernstein and how he met him, and there's so much history there, so much that I've learned just reading his notes. In our work, I try to make it rise to the occasion of the standard that he set. I've been told a story that once there was a 17-minute shortfall for the broadcast, <laughs> that the broadcast was over, the credits were rolling, but there were still 17 minutes to fill. We still have issues like that occasionally, yes. But that Martin Bookspan artfully ad-libbed 17 minutes worth of material over the closing credits and made it a seamless experience. For he people. did indeed. He was a master at that. And he was friends with many of these people. I mean, he knew these people on intimate terms and without making it about himself he could really bring a level of understanding and humor and insight into the programming i mean he made it feel very friendly and at the same time very informed and of course now martin is retired from that uh, on-air position and now we look forward to fred child who has his own very distinct uh, style, and he welcomes us to live from Lincoln Center for every program. And I know that we'll be hearing him very soon on New Year's Eve, and I'm very excited about your next episode, which is December 31st from David Geffen Hall, New Year's Eve, celebrating Sondheim with the New York Philharmonic. Yeah, that's going to be a fun show. Sondheim has been feted for many years, of course. Uh, when he was initially approached with this, he actually said to the Philharmonic, haven't people celebrated me enough? <laughs> but without having spoken to him, I think the great thing about this show is that a lot of attention in the last decade, partially because of the books that he had written, have been focused on his lyrics and his lyricism. This show really focuses on the music itself, 
and the innovations and the kind of melodic and harmonic things that he was working on over his long career. And so I think it's going to be a very different show. We still have vocalist Katrina Lenk coming in to sing a few of the songs mm -hmm. and provide lyrics, but it really is going to be a very, very strong focus on that beautiful music. So this is music that's been... Uh, adapted and orchestrated for a symphony orchestra. Most of these are suites adapted from works like Sweeney Todd, Sunday in the Park, Into the Woods, Assassins. There will be some shorter pieces as well, but I mean, I kind of look at it as a, a way to claim the space that he is indeed one of our key composers in any genre for orchestral music. Will Sondheim himself be involved in this production in any way? He's already involved in the production. Lonnie Price, who's directing the film, has a very long-standing relationship with him, and certainly he weighs in on the content, and we're hoping and expecting that he will be in attendance and take a bow. It's really going to be a great night. Doug, you've had such an amazing background in the world of television stage film, and I know you're actually no stranger to WNET, although it's been a while. You worked here a number of years ago at City Arts as a segment producer. You've worked at POV, one of our major independent film series, as a supervising producer, and actually you were out at KCET in Los Angeles as programming director. You've had an amazing career in public media. How has it all been knit together? Kind of a jaded career, but it knits together just because I think I've always come at my career from a wide range of perspectives. Maybe I was kind of unfocused at the beginning. I don't know. But I loved everything about it. So I sort of fell into a lot of things. I mean, I was very... When I started at City Arts, that was really my first major job out of school, and I loved performing arts. I was very much in the scene at that time, but I didn't know a lot about the nitty-gritty of production, and I have to say, City Arts was truly one of the funnest experiences I've ever had in terms of the workplace. My mentor at the time, kind of a legendary PBS person named Glenn DuBose, mm -hmm. he was executive producer and kind of the guiding spirit of the show. He described walking into our offices as walking into a French farce every time <laughs> he came in because there were doors slamming, people running from one room to another, and literally that was the way the show worked. It was very much tied into the local art scene in New York, which was fabulous because mm -hmm. we would be able to produce pieces, short pieces. We, we really thought of them as mini documentaries and then see them on the air three weeks later. And it was literally, you know, somebody would say, oh, we've got Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson at the kitchen grab a camera and film them, and we would. And those experiences have followed me the, <laughs> for the rest of my career. It's made me a lot more comfortable with dealing with challenges and last-minute changes. What are some of the favorite things about what you do in this world? I mean, working with the artists, up to the moment that I stepped into this job, I never thought that I would be working with the level of artists I've been working with on such a regular basis. I had never imagined I would be working with crews of the size. You know, I'm I'm kind of an indie, indie filmmaker type. Mm -hmm. And when we 
when we walk into a hall, you know, there's not a lot of preparation, but all of a sudden we're a crew of 150 people, and you have to manage every moment of that and know that you're not going to be able to realistically manage every moment, so you have to kind of keep your feelers out for whatever doesn't work and kind of let what does work just kind of go on its own. You know, my favorite part of this is just continuing to figure out, to try to figure out, new ways of representing this performing arts material that are really going to resonate for people and make them feel like they are getting as much of the experience as they possibly can without actually being there. I also think that there's a lot that we can do in terms of bringing a wider range of content from all sorts of different communities. That's wonderful. I know that nothing's been set in stone, but can you give us any clues as to where Live from Lincoln Center will be taking us next year? Well, the only thing I can say is that we're hoping to broaden the offerings. I think there are some wonderful pieces that are being developed on campus, whether it's the ballet or Lincoln Center Theater or the Philharmonic. I think that when we look at the, the kind of work that we're doing, I think we're trying to figure out what really speaks to the broad American public, because we're not just a New York institution. Um, you know, Lincoln Center really is kind of a clearinghouse for art from all over the world in its kind of ideal form. Doug Chang, thanks so much for being with us. We will definitely be looking forward to spending New Year's Eve with you from the comfort of our own home with the New York Philharmonic Live from Lincoln Center. And thank you for listening. And be back with us again soon for another edition of WNET Up Next. Our audio engineers, Josh Broom, John Berman, and Evan Joseph. Our editor, Samantha Lobo. And our executive producer, Dana McBride. Share your questions and comments with us at upnext at WNET.org. You can always find us at Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and on our website at 13.org. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design and On-Air Promotion Department of WNET New York. And happy holidays from all of us here at WNET Up Next. I'm Tom Stewart. <laughs>